sometimes the best stuff is left on the cutting room floor. <laughs> there's, there's just that much material. We just can't get it all in. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and online patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this show, we plan to dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to not only share some great information, but have a little fun along the way. So I'm your host, Chris Boyer, and I am joined by my co-host and friend, Reed Smith. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you, Reed? Good, good. Another week, another podcast. Here we are. I know. We're committed now, aren't we? This is episode five. Wow. Is that is that a milestone, or at what point do we start, uh, you know, is it like at 20 or 50? I think every podcast is a new milestone for us. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it is. It is. It's fun nonetheless. So it is fun. Uh, but yeah, looking back, I mean, it feels like we just started this and we're uh, already five in. And I think that today, um, our topic of today's podcast is going to follow a theme that we've been doing since the beginning, which is podcast topics that have three words in them. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even notice that. So we'll have to keep asking people to submit three-word descriptions for future podcasts. That's right. Yeah. If you have a topic, as long as it's three words, that's fine. Send it to us. So, Reed, before we jump in, let's do a brief intro for some people, those few people in the world now that know who you are. Um, tell them, who are you? Uh, Reed Smith. You can find me on Twitter, uh, at Reed Smith. You can find me uh, online, socialhealthinstitute.com. Yeah, and track me down on LinkedIn as well. Look forward to connecting. Uh, of course, based on what this uh, podcast is, obviously I spend uh, quite a bit of my time working with hospitals and healthcare organizations around digital and social. And I'm Chris Boyer, and I too um, uh, am found online through Chris Boyer as my Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all those other places where you can find me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and my website's ChristopherBoyer.com. And I also work in the healthcare space, uh, working, helping organizations on digital marketing, digital engage, patient engagement, and hospitals, health systems, any kind of healthcare organizations. Absolutely. So today, voice of customer. Read a lot of people say voice of customer, but I'm not really sure they understand what that means. Maybe we should start with the definition. What do you think? Absolutely. Hit it. We went to uh, the preeminent source of information online nowadays, which is... All things correct. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Wikipedia. And uh, Wikipedia came out, uh, has this definition. They say, voice of customer, or VOC, is a term used in business and information technology to describe the in-depth process of capturing customers' expectations, preferences, and aversions. Specifically, the voice of customer is a market research technique that produces a detailed set of customer wants and needs organized into a hierarchical structure and then prioritized in terms of relative importance and satisfaction with current alternatives. Wow. There's a lot there. So what does it mean to you, Reed? Simply it's feedback. You know, it's, it's, you know, the, the feedback that we gain most likely probably off web, 
uh, or online, I should say, you know, maybe web is a little mis- misleading. I don't mean the website per se, but web tools, social um, and digital tools uh, from folks that interact with um, our organizations online. Not only their feedback, but feedback that can actually be used to apply to change the way we interact with them, right? So we want to learn what they want from us. We want to learn what they prefer or how they prefer to interact with us. And then we want to also learn what they don't like so we could do less of that. Absolutely. And I think it's an important distinction to make that uh, this does not mean what they like and don't like and things like that online. It just means like in life. Um, It could be uh, parking is done at at the hospital or it could be uh, the location of particular resources in, in the brick and mortar uh, location, or that something's not available that should be, or used to be available and is not anymore, or, or whatever it is. And, and it also obviously does filter into the online world. You know, you launch a new website and it could be the way that you've restructured where certain resources reside, you know, whatever it may be. Part of that is looking into the customer's wants and needs in a structured way, right? So that you could systematically address and improve and, and make, make adjustments accordingly. It's one thing to ask people, you know, how warm the meatloaf is, but if you're not prepared to actually make changes when they say it came lukewarm to my room, you know, then that's not really an actionable data point that you want to, do you want to have? So it's sort of building a structure around that so that you could start to prioritize and build better experiences, better, better ways to improve satisfaction. You know, that's one, one reason. And I think we've even talked about this. We've been podcasting for so long. I can't keep up, but the, the Baldridge process. Uh, so there's category three and that is, is voice of the customer. And in there, one of the questions is, is how are you using web-based technologies to solicit feedback from your customer uh, or consumers? And then how are you using that feedback to then change a process? So to your point, the feedback's great, but how do you determine what that feedback means and is, and how do you, like it said in the definition, I think, categorize some of that, determine what, what's good, what's most effective, and then how do you actually put that into play? There's a lot of different ways you can measure voice of customer. It could be through like HCAPS is a great example, right? Doing patient surveys. There are patient focus groups or patient, you know, patient groups that, that organizations meet with to talk about and, and get a better understanding. They try to gather maybe at certain touch points in the, in the whole care pathway. Clinically, they're trying to capture specific uh, information to understand how the customer is responding. Organizations are spending time watching the flow of an emergency department, for example, or watching how the interaction is between nursing staff and the patients. They're trying to understand and see if the system that's being built or being transformed is actually applying to improving that overall patient experience. And then we got into affinity groups, you know, which is maybe a little bit different than focus groups in the sense that um, they were originally used for marketing purposes, obviously. But it was also, you know, how do we put together this women's advisory council, you know, and you'd go find people in your community and bring them in and feed them dinner once a quarter or whatever it was and ask, you know, what have you heard? And, you know, have you had friends that have come to the hospital and what kind of feedback did you get? And, you know, how can we better, 
you know, make this a destination for people like you and, you know, those types of things. And so, you know, maybe it's a focus group like, but a little bit of a looser feel, maybe an ongoing, you know, engagement, you know, and even uh, brand and perception studies and things like that that you do through more formal engagements with research organizations. And then two, uh, you know, leadership rounding through the organization. So physically getting up and walking around purposefully in certain intervals, uh, you know, became a very big deal and still is a big deal in creating rounding logs and things like that. You know, because I think one thing we forget is, you know, voice of the customer. We, we like to think about that being uh, our potential patients and or patients and their families and caregivers. But it could be physicians. It could be our own staff. You know, the, the idea of who is the customer, you know, I think is um, a little bit of a misnomer sometimes to think that that's just, you know, patients. That's a really good point. And when you look at that within the care setting, right, it gets really complex. The support staff, the uh, the physicians, the employed physicians, the, the affiliated physicians, all of those, you know, have certainly their own distinct voices and their own distinct needs. This podcast is dedicated to intersecting digital into this overall experience, right? So, from a digital perspective, there are a lot of tools and techniques that organizations are using now too to drive forward to get that sort of that online um, voice of the customer. So let's let's talk a little bit about those. I think one of the ones that, that you know clearly we understand are sort of like user usability testing, user testing for when you're doing a website. You see it a lot, uh, not just on hospital or healthcare websites, but just across the board where. You navigate to a website and you see the little pop up um, where they ask you to, you know, take a survey or answer some questions, and uh, so that, that's a way that you know they specifically know where that feedback is coming from. You know, it's coming from the website or this particular page of the website or a microsite or landing page, you know, that kind of thing. And then looking at the analytics, you know, which you know we've done quite a bit when we build websites, you know, we look at the analytics of the existing site and try to make some informed decisions about what people are or are not looking at how deep they're willing to go into a website. Uh, and then obviously social analytics uh, is another is another piece there. So what types of content are people willing to engage with? You know, the type of post, whether it's a picture or a video or, a, you know, a news article or what have you. And, and start using that information to build out, you know, what is that plan? In this case, probably a content plan, uh, a content calendar. So... You know, some other ways too include when you start to look at wayfinding, using wayfinding as a as a way as a kind of a touch point. I think that's a common experience problem is is uh, patients and and people flowing through your your care pathway. I've I've, I've seen some some online or some, I should say, digital kiosks and wayfinding machines that are actually capturing data of people using it. And that's one way to kind of track the flow. Also, as we think about it, and we talked a little bit about this in our CRM podcast, where there is so much available other data about people, about their interests and their preferences from like Google, from Facebook, from Apple, from, you know, all of these properties that we can now start to bring in and use that to augment uh, the the ways that we're currently measuring the voice of customer traditionally. And what that allows us to do is bring in a, a whole nother layer of metadata that can 
seriously inform the way we're improving our experiences with our patients. Yeah, and I think another one too, and this ties into both traditional and digital marketing efforts, if you will, but is the simple thing of like uh, tracking, you know, phone calls, for example. You know, you do it from a marketing perspective so you can tie that back and improve the, the ROI around your marketing efforts. But if you're recording those phone calls, you can use that information to really understand you know, what are the common reasons people are calling? So you can start thematically understanding, okay, these are some things we need to address. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff here. And I think that when we start to look at all of these various touch points, there's a couple of things that happen. First of all, um, for organizations, hospitals and health systems, they tend to get a little bit uh, overwhelmed by the number of ways that you could actually measure the voice of customer. And if you think about the second part of that equation, which is using that data in an actionable way to actually drive improvement, uh, that that intersect there sometimes can lead to analysis paralysis, right? There's just too much available. That's a, that's a, a fine tightrope walk that organizations have to take. Yet, I think that it's very important when we start to look at all of these myriad of new ways that we can actually measure the voice of customer, that we start to take that into account. Because quite frankly, that is the root behind consumerism and the drive of consumerism in healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. I think the perception and expectations that people have, you know, is driven by the rest of their life. Their, their expectation of healthcare or hospitals is not driven by their engagement or interaction with other hospitals. But for the most part, it's, um, you know, I can do this at my kid's school online. I can pay these bills this way. I can register this way. I can do these things. You know, my loyalty to this other brand is via this app, you know, or whatever it is. And so those, those become the expectations because that's the way people want to communicate or want to engage. What, 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 what is news? All right, now in the what's news segment of the podcast, uh, we're going to jump over to a news article like we do each week. This week, we're looking at one from CMO.com. Again, a link will be in the show notes. Title of the article, The Real Value in Voice of the Customer, The Customer Experience. And so th- this article is interesting. It goes through, there's a lot of stats in here, which are always fun to kind of read through and pick apart and decide, is that really true? Now, now granted, the caveat here, I guess, uh, or the qualifier is that this is not a healthcare, certainly not a hospital-specific article. But we thought it'd be interesting to kind of walk through this and talk about some of those different those different findings they reference the Gartner Group in the beginning of this article and says that 89% of companies expect to be competing primarily on customer experience by now. So I think arguably, having worked in hospitals and working with them now, uh, that maybe that number is a little inflated for the health hospital space. What do you think? Do you think 89% is right? I think it depends on what piece of the delivery you're talking about. No pun intended, but delivery, um, women's health, for example, you know, people are going to probably uh, choose or you know work that uh, experience piece of the equation a little more around something like that. This is something that they know well in advance. 
Some of that I think is, you know, still, and you could make this case probably across all the service lines, is driven via physician recommendation referral type patterns still. But I still think, you know, for people that trust and, and feel like they have a good physician, if that physician makes a certain recommendation, whether that be location, type of service, do or don't do certain things, you know, they're probably going to follow that recommendation. So 89% is probably high. Well, I would agree that. I would say, though, that even though maybe from those emergent types of experiences where where consumers don't really have a lot of active choice and they're not making um, decisions based on customer experience, that does not mean you should ignore those from a customer experience perspective. You certainly should. I think that, in fact, anything you could do to kind of ease that friction of any kind of interaction that they have with your health system will make it much easier for them. So, you know, even though, you know, we when we talk a lot about customer experience driving selection, even for those non-selective opportunities, I think customer experience becomes important. It, it does. So let's jump into some of these other stats. It says 95% of companies say they regularly listen to their customers And of these, 84% regularly ask customers for feedback, while 11% only do it occasionally. I think some of that may just be checking the box. It's like, do you have a contact form on your website? Yes, yes, I do. Okay, well, that's a way that you're asking for feedback. And so it's like, I mean, I get, yes, technically, yes, people can give you feedback. You've put that there and said, if you have questions, let us know. I don't know that... I see that as, quote-unquote, actively asking. I mean, that's just kind of a static, like, here's this thing. You can give us feedback. Oh, we have a Facebook page. You know, our comments turned on on the blog or what, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's where we're, we're checking the box to some degree. That stuff is very much like you do need to have those. But I, I call that, you know, that's the cost per entry to do business, right? But uh, I think that the article goes on, the, some of the other stats that they say is this, that, and this kind of speaks to what we're talking about is the type of feedback that actually will drive change. They say here that only 29% of firms with voice of customer in place systematically incorporate insights about customer needs into their decision-making processes. So that's a big drop, right? Going from 84 to now 29. And even, for, and even further, they say here that Harvard Business Review article noted that marketing decision-makers in the Fortune 100 use data just 11% of the time to make decisions that affect customers. Well, I think there's a couple of things there. So I think to get good answers, you've got to ask good questions. The idea we talked about rounding earlier, just the idea of sticking your head in the door and being like, so how are things going? I'm not sure that that really gives you anything actionable. And that's why you see you see organizations train on this. And so when that senior leader does go around in an apartment, they ask very specific questions that are going to yield answers that they can then do something with. Just stop them by, hey, how's everybody doing today? I mean, what, what's the, you know, what are they going to say? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, it's fine. So again, asking good questions, getting good answers, but then actually taking those answers and having some process by which you aggregate all that, identify themes, needs, deficits, opportunities, whatever it is, and actually doing something with that is a lot different than just asking for feedback. 
A lot of times when we talk about improving the the care or improving the, the overall experience, we're taking an inside-out view, right? We're looking at from our clinical perspective out, and we're trying to design something that actually we feel is clinically better. And sometimes that's the worst uh, perspective possible because we have so many blinders on. We've been so immersed in the way that this industry works. Getting that outside perspective in to the organization really can give key insights and actually, ultimately, I think will drive innovation in healthcare in the future. Touch point, touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight! All right, now time for everyone's favorite segment. Touch point, touch counterpoint, or touch point, counter touch point, or however you choose to uh, label this segment of the podcast. But uh, this is uh, the time where Chris and I take the topic of the day. We take extreme, I guess, opposite ends of the spectrum around the particular topic or, or a piece of that topic, and then actually debate uh, those sides of the argument, whether or not we actually believe that or not. Quite honestly, I'm not sure, but uh, I would guess, without really thinking about this very long, all of these that we've done to this point, we probably are on the same side of the argument each time. Yeah, um, we have been. So yeah. it's it's funny to try to argue that that opposite side. So anyway, so today, obviously, we're talking about uh, voice of the customer. And so we thought it would be interesting to take uh, opposing views on, does the consumer really know what they want? No, they don't. Okay. Continue. I will. Um, so, I mean, come on. There's a reason why physicians and healthcare systems are the way they are. We have years and years of experience understanding the best ways to apply care. We focus all of our efforts on improving the care pathways. It's not that we don't think that their opinions matter. Sure, they do matter. But ultimately, we know what's best for them. We've studied. We we understand that if you're being if you're showing up for oncology, whatever that you know, treating of cancer, we know the best care pathway for you. We know the right ways for you to go down that pathway, and we're going to make sure you're compliant with your care and get better quicker. But I think to that point, we're too close. You know, we're, we're too close to, to it all. We, we build hospitals the same way each time, short of the Starbucks in the lobby or, or what have you. Actually getting feedback from consumers, everything from, you know, the, their entire experience. So the clinical part and the non-clinical part. Getting that information from the consumer allows us to better, you know, meet their needs. And also, I think by listening to them, you know, ultimately makes them more compliant with that evidence-based care. Look, they're all they're going to ask for is that Starbucks in the lobby type experience. We're not serving lattes. What we're doing is we're actually delivering complicated solutions to their care. And quite frankly, they don't understand sort of the complexities of that. We have to be good stewards of them and lead them through that care. So their voice, while again, I'm not saying that it's not important, it's just really not going to provide us those clinical insights that we need in order to improve what we do. Yeah, but I think everyone's different. So they know based on their experiences previously, they're back to have their second or third child. They know how the first two went 
they were there. And, and probably these nurses and physicians were not. So they know what they had trouble with last time. They know, you know, the way uh, anesthesia made them feel and, and things like that. And with the advent of the internet, they're able to connect with a lot more people that have had the same issues that they've had versus just relying on, you know, somebody they happen to know uh, personally, so I think they bring a lot more to the equation, you know, even in a clinical sense than they have historically. So I think the idea of listening um, and aggregating, measuring that is uh, is critical. The advent of the internet actually made the the situation worse. Suddenly, we now have all these patients that talking to people in different parts of the world and getting some of the most extreme cases and they're coming in with kind of misconceptions they're they're virtually cyberchondriacs here and you know and what we need to do is respond to that based on what they looked up on you know a google search or what came up in their facebook feed yeah but i think i think those are extreme cases so i think everybody looks it up and i think everybody brings in their you know misconceptions or information or whatever it is to the physician uh, or care team, but I think most people, uh, the majority of folks, are, are very reasonable. And once they get direction and answers and things like that, and feel like they're being taken care of, you know, a lot of those go away. You're right. A lot of people look up stuff online, um, but. You know, that that's more responsibility on our side to make sure that the right information's there. They don't even know how much they're driving up the cost of care by actually asking for all of these, you know, spa like approaches and, and making sure that we massage their feet while they're waiting in the waiting room for us. I mean, we're busy people. Yeah, but I think so to that point, I think the spa like experience reduces anxiety by and then in turn increases compliance, therefore driving the cost down. I can't argue this anymore. Man. <laughs> There's no way. I, 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 I'm sorry. I just. It was so hard to argue against something I actually categorically disagree with. <laughs> uh, awesome. Uh, uh, so, scene. Well, I get it. I mean, I understand that <laughs> doctors and that you know we did build. We do practice medicine. We do understand. You know, and we we do hire a lot of great experts to help us to improve this. Ultimately, that outside experience, I believe, um, the outside voice is going to help us to improve and drive innovation and make things better. I had a hard time keeping a straight face through all of that. Read <laughs> another good one this week. This is the Ask the Expert section of our podcast, and today I am very pleased to introduce a special guest, an expert in this in our topic today, um, a voice of customer, which is Matt Gov, the Chief Consumer Officer at Piedmont Healthcare. Hey, Matt, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Well, you know, when Reed and I were thinking about this topic of voice of customer, uh, immediately we thought, who's the expert on this? Who is known in this space, in this industry? And our names immediately went to you. So, um, and I think you're kind of known for that. So tell, tell, before we get started, though, on voice of customer, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what your role is at Piedmont? Sure. Happy to. So um, I'm the chief consumer officer, which is a, a weird title. Uh, you don't see it that often in healthcare. You don't see it that often anywhere, quite honestly. But the reason we decided to go with that, and I'm responsible for a lot of the functions you would expect, marketing, communications, a lot of community outreach and external affairs, 
but I'm also responsible for the consumer and patient experience for Piedmont Healthcare, which is a seven-hospital system based in Atlanta, piedmont.org, if you really want more information about us. So uh, we chose the title Chief Consumer Officer because we wanted to make it clear both internally and externally that we are building our product, and we do think of this as a product, a service and product that we deliver to our customers, um, we choose to put the consumers at the center of our product design and believe that by reacting to consumer needs and understanding how to best serve consumers, uh, we'll ultimately be able to um, differentiate Piedmont and, and continue to deliver the, the high-quality clinical care that we're known for in, in our market and around the country. Yeah, well, in fact, healthcare has a big problem with the word consumers, too. I just had this conversation with a really interesting group of people we pulled together to talk about uh, customer experience. The conversation we had was, what do we call these people? I've been calling them customers. But some of the people in the room, and these are consumer experience leaders from other industries. We had Delta, Apple, Chick-fil-A, and a bunch of other people who were known for delivering great experiences in the room. And, and they said, customer feels really transactional. Isn't healthcare a relationship business? Shouldn't you guys be more focused on how to create this sense of relationship and, and caring? How do you extend that, that clinical caring idea that a lot of the, the providers in our systems have to the rest of the customer experience? And so we're now kicking around Maybe we should be calling our customers guests. Maybe they shouldn't be patients, which, which patients really does sound like you're the subject of some sort of research experiment. <laughs> That's not cool. Um, maybe they shouldn't be consumers because that's sort of generic and, and uh, depersonalized. Maybe it should be guests. We're now looking at new and different ways of approaching that, mostly because it could, it should have an impact internally on how our 16,000 caregivers across our system take care of um, and treat the people who need us and in, in come into our system. Tell me a little bit about what, how you, you at Piedmont, you yourself, define what voice of customer is. Uh, what I realized after I got into healthcare is we spend more time asking more questions of our customers than most industries do, right? We are constantly seeking feedback. I know at Piedmont, um, we send surveys to every single office visit patient or customer, whatever we want to call them, um, and to a, a large percentage of our inpatient stays as well. Everybody gets these surveys. The voice of the customer in its raw form is just the collection of data and feedback that you're getting from your customers, people who interact with your system. I think the bigger, the bigger challenge is um, how do you organize that data? How do you utilize that data? Um, and for us, it's also how do we publish that data so that other consumers can have the benefit of existing customers' experiences. That's critical to me. I think if you're only using the feedback from your customers to improve service, then you're missing a large opportunity and a large piece of the, the overall marketing puzzle um, because 
those, as I've seen in our organization, it takes a long time to use that feedback to really effectively change the experience for a consumer. Uh, but you can um, pretty rapidly um, affect both the internal behavior of your caregivers and the external choice of consumers by providing them with other consumers' feedback. Well, and you've been known, you were one of the first organizations that were out there publishing, you know, uh, consumer feedback, reviews, ratings in a public way on your website. But if you could, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of, uh, like, the, that's just part of what you're doing. How are you, like at Piedmont, approaching voice of customer, that approach, um, and applying that to care? So we're, um, yeah, we were the second system in the country to uh, create star ratings and publish reviews for our physicians on our website. We're up to almost a thousand physicians with star ratings and reviews now. Um, we, we have used that, that specific information to better engage our physicians in understanding what the experiences our customers are having with them. Um, and so I know many of our physicians now regularly check their own profile. And the funny thing is, is that they get the information from the public profile faster than they're getting it from our internal reports uh, back from, from Press Ganey. We are also seeing continued improvement in our scores. Um, we use Press Ganey to administer our uh, regular patient surveys and um, our physician groups are now, so as a whole, the physician group is in the 90th percentile in America in terms of customer um, satisfaction. And so we continue to push that higher and higher. We're already high. We're going higher. Where I'm focused, more focused now, is whether or not we're asking the right questions that's a, and that is a, um, that's an enormous thing to start to tackle, uh, because it 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 goes into survey design. It also goes into survey um, application. And so, are we? Do we really need to send a survey to every single customer? Um, I'm not sure that we do. In order to get the appropriate feedback, um, I'm looking forward to us really digging into the question because it was I was trying to figure out. How do we give more information to the customer that needs it? And I was using uh, my own experiences and the experiences of everybody I know as examples. Uh, and I'll, I'll use you an example, as an example. So Chris Boyer, when he wants to go out to dinner, um, and it's not just the regular old neighborhood place, gets on open table or somewhere else and looks up things around him and wants to, he won't buy a $15 meal without first reading what other people think about it, right? It, it, same goes for any product. You won't buy a set of rechargeable batteries without reading what five other people on Amazon bought about the damn things. It's, we've gotten to this insane place where um, we, because the information is available, we don't make decisions without other people's um, input anymore. And how does that translate to healthcare? Well, I, I think about it procedurally. So I go to my primary care physician. I've got a, he, he or she expe- suspects that I have a hernia, all right? Um, you get the imaging study done. You're like, yep, hernia, go to this general surgeon. You go to this general surgeon. General surgeon's like, yep, I'm a surgeon, so I'm going to cut you. And here's what I'm going to do while I'm cutting you. And, the, and so you, as the patient, typically are like, oh, oh, hold, let's hold on. <laughs> hold on. 
and you and you have questions. Uh, how complicated is this procedure? What's the what's the success rate? But you also have really more basic questions, thinking like a normal person and not like a healthcare person. You're thinking, okay, if I do this, how long am I out of work? Right? How how long did it take um, the last patient to get back to a normal lifestyle? Um, if and so we're not even asking those questions, um, and our surveys aren't designed with the consumer in mind. This is not a specific knock on Prescani, but we use Prescani, and so they can take it personally if they wish. Um, their surveys are not designed around what the customer needs to know about the physician, the procedure, the system, whatever. Their surveys are designed almost exclusively as an internal process improvement tool. I can't even tell customers what they need to know right now. And it's because we're not asking the right questions. As you talk about, you know, designing, redesigning the approach of how you're or redesigning the surveys you're going to do for voice of customer, how do you know that the customer themselves know what they want? They don't always. You know, there's the well-worn examples we all have, uh, particularly of technologies that have been introduced to us. We're like, where did that come from? I, iPhone being the most, most obvious. You've got these things that people show you and you're like, yes, I need that. And I had no idea before then that I needed it. I am not getting feedback from customers to design the next thing necessarily. I am getting feedback from customers to help answer the questions of potential customers. Right? That's the, and that, you, you actually, um, I just realized it, you just crystallized part of the problem with the press gainies and, and, um, uh, NRCs and all the other people that do surveys, those are not tools that are going to help us move to the next thing. Um, those are tools designed around just what we think we need to know. Um, and there's all sorts of um, bias in how people respond to healthcare-related surveys, which is why you want to dig really specifically into their experience. Right, let's, let's ask specific questions about their experience because that's going to help us better design that existing experience for somebody. Um, but also, more importantly, surfacing that information is going to help consumers make a decision about whether or not they want to choose us. Um, it's not the only touch point for somebody when they're making a decision, um, but it is more consistent with the way they make decisions in the rest of their lives. As we move into this consumer world, the experience is being defined by other experiences that people have outside of healthcare. So the minute that I can order a latte from Starbucks on my phone and the damn thing is sitting on the counter when I walk in, that's, that has changed what people understand to be possible now. As we think about what we need to do for the future, I can promise you that we're not sitting around with just with a bunch of healthcare focus groups. As I mentioned to you earlier, we're talking to the leaders in the in other industries, from airlines to retail um, to fast food to hospitality. We had Hilton there as well. We're talking to them about, hey, here's our system. It sure is terrible. How do we fix this? What tips would you give to people that want to go down this path? Right now, the, the best thing that people can do is just get into the game and start 
start publishing star ratings, reviews, information that people can use. Um, you, can, you can optimize that later. Um, secondarily, start to look at other measures of your experience. So we use Net Promoter Score. Net Promoter Score is a widely used metric amongst consumer-focused uh, companies from Amazon to Apple to Starbucks to uh, Chick-fil-A. A lot of the folks that I've mentioned who are experienced experience-focused companies. Down the road, you can start to examine, is the way we're surveying people um, correct? That's a, that's a deep question, one that we're examining right now. Um, I think you can get lost in that rabbit hole if you haven't even done the basics yet. So don't, don't go straight to the advanced move. Start with the basic publishing of consumer information, consumer, um, review uh, data that you already have. Start with that. Here's another thing that people should consider. I'm assuming that most of the people enjoying this uh, undeniably great podcast uh, are marketing people. Um, Build a partnership or do a hostile takeover of the experience function in your organization. It's a, it's a, it starts with a partnership, but hopefully over time it ends up with more organizations allowing their marketing department, which should be the department that knows the most about your customers, allowing the marketing department to help define the experience, to shape the product, and, and quite frankly, over the long, long term, um, the marketing department should be informing and help design system strategy. Where are we going as an organization? Because the voice of the consumer is one of, if not the most critical part of figuring out what we need to be doing next. Matt, thank you so much for all this insight. You gave a lot of information. If, uh, if people want to get a hold of you or hear, learn a little bit more about you, what's the best way for them to, to find you online? It depends on what they want to know. Um, <laughs> if you if you want to talk to me directly, uh, Matt Gove Matt dot Gove at Piedmont dot org uh, is probably the best place <laughs> to do that. If you want to be assaulted by my political views, find me on Twitter uh, at Gove. Um, there's occasional healthcare information in between my rants. Well, thanks so much. Really appreciate your insights today. Happy to do it. Thanks, Chris. All right, this is a new section in our podcast, which is listener feedback. We've actually only been doing this for five episodes now, Reed, and we've gotten quite a bit of feedback from people. And so I think this is a good opportunity for us to kind of share that and share some of the funny stuff, some of the maybe not so funny stuff, um, and some good ideas. So why don't we kind of go through and talk a little bit about what people are saying. You want to start with the first one? Sure. Yeah, it was good to hear from... uh Jared Johnson, you recommended his book on the first podcast, maybe? I'm trying to remember now. Second, second The second, second one. podcast. Mm-hmm. So anyways, he was kind enough to give us some more ideas since we asked for that. And so he, he sent over several things uh, that he thought would be interesting. Uh, electronic health records, patient portals, telehealth, and kind of those virtual visits, wearables, you know, things like that. So... All great topics, and we'll definitely uh, get those, at least to some degree, added to the list. 
a, a good friend of both of ours sent us uh, a message on Twitter, Meredith Gould. She said that she listened to our podcast, about 80% of it. And she said, good stuff. <laughs> she, she complimented us on our voices, but she says, I have a problem with upspeak. So I have to be careful of that because that's a personal pet peeve of hers. I, I've been listening very astutely now to making sure I don't have upspeak. Reed, she actually complimented you on your Texas accent. It sounds charming. Uh, I think it may just be a Southern accent. I, I don't know. Maybe I've been in Texas long enough now that, that we can call it a Texas accent. So um, Another one from uh, one of our experts, actually, Rob Bergfield from a couple episodes ago. That was on, was it Reputation Management, I believe, was the one that he uh, was the expert on. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to that. Uh, nice job, guys. Keep them coming. Um, the commutes are brutal. If you remember, if you listen to that episode, uh, Chris actually interviewed him while he was on his commute. On LinkedIn, Joe Doyle actually said he might even share our podcast with us. That's people. right. Joe's a great friend and a good buddy of mine. Uh, really, really smart guy. Uh, interactive uh, director uh, for a number of different agencies that primarily participate in the uh, kind of medical device uh, pharma world. But anyway, Joe's a really cool guy. Looking forward actually to seeing him at South by Southwest next week. Dr. Robert Jones. We actually have a rating and review on iTunes, which if you have not, that would be a huge help if you would go subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on uh, iTunes. But he commented, uh, excellent thought leaders. Uh, love hearing from thought leaders on digital marketing and healthcare. Look forward to future episodes. Thanks, Dr. Jones. The last one I'm going to leave anonymous just because of the nature of the comment, but it's uh, someone that I know and work with. And uh, right after our online reputation management podcast, she said, she uh, said, my next project is ORM. I feel like all of your podcasts just start with dear such and such, whatever her name was, as if we're addressing her directly. So, I'm, you know. Well, I'm glad it was that prescriptive. So uh, Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe she's doing voice of customer stuff now. That's too, right. So, you know, the voice of our customers, our listeners are very important to us. Let us know. We'd love to uh, hear from you. It not only helps shape our podcast topics in the future, uh, we'd love structural feedback on our upspeak and our accents and any other things that you want to share with us. It's very important to us. So let us know. Hit us up on touchpointpodcast.com or Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever you, uh, wherever you hear about us. Yeah, it'd just be nice to know that we're not talking to ourselves, too. So, Reed, we're getting to the end of Episode 5. This has been a really good one. Talking about the voice of customer, we defined it. We talked about ways that we can measure it. We jumped into an article that showed some scary stats of how people are or are not using the voice of customer. We had a great conversation with Matt Gov. He's probably one of the thought leaders in this space, and he shared some great insights from what he's doing at Piedmont. We really appreciated having him on. And now we're kind of wrapping up the last segment, which we call is What's Next? So, Reed, you're going to South by Southwest next week. Yes. Or I guess I'm staying here for South by Southwest next week. I don't know, something like that. So South by, you know, historically for those uh, that may think about it this way, what was very much a focused music and, fi and then film festival 
Interactive obviously kicked off uh, in the late 90s and now has become a, a huge component to that festival. Uh, so that will actually kick off on Friday. What is that? Is that the 10th through Tuesday the 15th? I'm obviously very involved with the health and med tech is what they call it, a portion of the event. It should be great. Uh, it's become such a big topic within South by now. It's actually moving over to Ground Zero, which is the convention center. But it'll be a takeover of pretty much all things Austin. And I look forward to seeing a lot of folks that'll be coming in town for that. Wish I was there with you. I'm, I promise you I'm going to hit one of those in the near future. Well, great. Cool. We'll list out some of the other speaking engagements we're going to be doing in the future. We've talked about them before. They'll be on our show notes. All right. Last part is the recommendations. People actually mention to me they like our recommendations. Sometimes they take them. So, Reed, why don't you start with your recommendation? Yeah, so this is just a piece of technology, I guess, or electronics, uh, however you want to categorize it, that I've really enjoyed. I tried kind of on a whim. I had a little Christmas money burning a hole in my pocket a couple of months ago. And got a set of, uh, I wanted a pair of Bluetooth wireless earbuds. And everybody has seen, you know, different versions of that. But I got a set of the Bose SoundSport wireless earbuds. And, uh, man, they're great. Uh, Not having that cable, especially if, like, you're in the car, you're out exercising, walking, running, just out and about. They work really, really well. And not so much noise canceling, but it does, by the nature of how they fit, uh, cancel a little bit of noise. So they're, they're not bad on the airplane and stuff like that, too. And you don't have to worry about them getting tangled up between bags and jacket pockets and seat belts and all that kind of good stuff. Cool. That's always helpful. I always tend to find that cable gets in the way. I'll have to check those out. The one I'm going to do, Reed, is something a little bit more maybe self-serving. I don't know. So about eight, nine years ago, I started a, a blog that kind of was ripping on digital marketing. It was sort of like the onion of digital marketing. And um, with my buddy, Patrick Singson, big shout out to him. He and I did this for a little bit and we just kind of had fun doing it. It was a little, you know, just funny ways to kind of blow off steam and come up with some interesting ideas. For various reasons, actually one specific reason we won't get into today, we shut it down about eight years ago and thought it was going to go away. Well, he found it. He posted it back up. And wouldn't you know it, it actually still resonates today. <laughs> anyway, the website's called URU, spelled Y-O-O-R-Y-O-O dot com. Some, it, it's interesting. We actually called out some technologies uh, that, have crea- that have been created in the last eight years. So one good example, we posted something that Apple is going to create the iClock. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty, pretty close. It's kind of fun. It's Some of it's dated, but um, some of it is actually really relevant. And I just encourage people to go out there and look. Awesome. Cool. Okay. Episode five. Completed. You're going to find out everything about us at touchpointpodcast.com. He's Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. Thanks for listening this week and uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Bye.